six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Good morning, everyone. Conley here with the Science Nights in the Morning. We got part two to our last episode talking about ancient DNA. All three nights are assembled. And uh, we are here. We have Dr. Anurban Bhattacharji uh, in the studio with us, playing with his phone as always, tried and true. Mm-hmm. We have Dr. Uh, Thomas Schiller here in the house, all the way from Australia. We have Dr. Sean Graham. Kind of give us a recap, Sean. Uh, let us uh, kind of dwell on the past a little bit, and let's go even further back in time when talking yeah, about so- ancient DNA. For those listeners who weren't around last week, didn't tune in, first of all, I think we're going to have that episode posted somewhere, so you can you can listen to that real quick and then listen to this one uh, next. Um, it'll give you a little bit more of a, 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 an idea of what we're talking about, but just the briefest recap possible of last week's episode, uh, ancient DNA. We're getting DNA samples from skeletons of humans that go back pretty far in time out to about uh, some of the oldest ones, something like 50,000 years ago uh, during the late stages of the, uh, of the uh, Pleistocene, during the last ice age. But that's, you know, that's, those are the oldest samples that are going back, and we're getting the entire genome, all the genetic material from individual humans from that time period. But go, it, it's even easier to get uh, DNA and whole genomes from younger samples, and so... Samples say all the way up to like 500 A.D., right, of, of the Huns, uh, people like that. So all the way up to the historic period, uh, this ancient DNA is, is blowing up world history. That's, that's the nutshell about uh, the last episode. Not just world history, like in the literal sense of like when, when historical records are available. So they were available. We know a little bit about the Huns. We know a little bit about the people of the steppes before them, the Scythians from historic records. But if you go back a little bit further in time, you lose that historical record completely. It becomes prehistoric, but it's like late prehistoric. So, you know, 3500 B.C., about 5500 years ago, we've got evidence for an invasion from the steppes, the great grasslands of Eurasia that um, formed modern Europeans or at least contributed to the formation of modern Europeans that was never really guessed at completely uh, based on existing evidence. So it's, it's totally changing our perceptions of world history and late prehistory. And that's kind of what we did last week. We talked about that, and it's incredible stuff. But we didn't scratch the surface because you can go farther back in time than you know the farming people of the Middle East uh, that spread through Europe or the steppe horsemen, pastoralists who moved into Europe. You can go farther back than that, and it's almost like the farther back you go, the crazier it gets. Yes, I can't wait because I'm ready for some Call of Cthulhu stuff. I want to see some really crazy stuff happen, and, and it's interesting because you know historians, archaeologists, 
due to this technology that we discussed, uh, briefly go over the technology that's kind of breaking this open, the science that is being put in place now that was only developed, what, in the past 20 years? Yeah, and even even like – so really there's there's kind of two big things that have happened just in the last 10 years that have made this really crazy and available. Uh, everything's gotten cheaper, and that's a technological thing. Uh, so the more labs that use various DNA techniques and sequence DNA for various little garden variety projects or even like undergraduate labs are se- like doing DNA uh, polymerase chain reaction, various experiments – uh, uh, more people use it, the more available it gets, the cheaper it gets. And so sequencing now is remarkably cheap. You know, if you, it's one of the most incredible uh, proliferations of technology that we, we, that, that's ever happened. Like if you think about the human genome project being completed in the year 2000 and that costing billions of dollars, and now you can sequence a human genome, uh, you know, from a skeleton uh, from a burial in the steppes of Asia and, and pa- publish a paper about that. And it costs, you know, it's, it's like several orders of magnitude cheaper now. And the other big thing is that the contamination problem, which plagued early DNA studies and ancient DNA studies, where you were never quite sure what you were getting if you sequenced a tyrannosaur bone, right? Mm-hmm. You were getting like bacteria or you were getting, you contaminated that bone with your own uh, your own DNA, that problem has largely been kind of fixed. And so contamination's not that big of a problem anymore. And it's, it's super cheap now to get an entire genome published and, and to analyze an entire genome. So that's really, you know, actually drilling out a bone and getting a sample is kind of a mechanical thing. It's not that big of a deal. Finding the bone, that's already been done, right? Uh, like we were talking about last week, most of these these bones that they're drilling cores out of to get DNA are sitting around in museums and were dug out of the ground 100 years ago. Mm. So the DNA uh, people have kind of uh, gone to museum people and said, hey, what do you got laying around? What kind of hypotheses can we test? And that's how this is really unfolding. Uh, there's, there is still digging going on that's important, but a lot of this stuff is just going to old museum collections and using material that we already have. So has this been archaeological grunt work has already been done. Has this been sort of a a progressive process where they start with the youngest material and work their way back? Or have they experimented with really, really old stuff and tried to work their way up and all over the place? That's great. That's a great question. It's kind of all over the place because one of the things we haven't mentioned yet, which is one of the biggest discoveries in the last 20 years, it kind of predates a lot of this craziness that we talked about last week. You know, one of the biggest things, and it's been around for a while, is the idea that Neanderthals, right? Neanderthals uh, have contributed some genetic material to modern humans. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that finding is, is pretty old. It's one of the first things they kind of looked for. Uh, what's kind of new, though, is that we've, we've managed to, you know, some of that early evidence of Neanderthal DNA in modern humans, if you, if you followed this story, it's kind of gone back and forth. Some of the, you know, the, some people published this said, yeah, we found it. And it's like 2% of modern Europeans have Neanderthal blood, right? And then somebody followed up with that and said, hell no, it's nowhere to be found. That must have been a problem or a mistake. And, and that was because they were using uh, either the, the mitochondrial DNA, which is a much smaller piece of DNA that's found only, you know, it's only uh, contributed along the, the mother line. It goes mm-hmm. that way. It's not the nuclear DNA. Your cells have... 
a mitochondrial genome that's smaller, and then the nuclear genome inside the nucleus was much bigger. And at first, that's all they could get. Um, or they would like sequence a single gene and, and compare that gene and they'd find, no, we can't find that gene in modern humans, so no, no Neanderthal. So it's kind of going back and forth. It's very confusing. But somebody has eventually gotten the entire Neanderthal genome sequence from a bone. In fact, I, I just read from the original type specimen of Neanderthal hmm. uh, from, you know, from, from the Neanderthal Valley in Germany, right? Wow. The one discovered in 1856. This is like the first you know, ancient or archaic human ever found. So they sequence wow. the whole genome, and then they start comparing it to modern humans, and they're like, okay, this is now decisive. All modern Eurasians, everybody except for Africans, uh, have something like a 2% uh, of Neanderthal genes in their, in their, uh, in their genome. So, so even – sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I was gonna just going to, when you said Africans uh, and you said, uh, so when you said Eurasians, right, you're also mm -hmm. including the people who migrated onto China and Japan, right? Yes. Okay. So all Eurasia, Australasia, Aust so, yeah. you know, Australians, and that includes, so that everybody who left Africa, basically, okay. what happened, what looks like it happened as soon as uh, modern humans left Africa, they ran into Neanderthals somewhere in the Middle East mm -hmm. and they, they mixed there. And then they continued uh, populating Europe, Asia, North America, South America. So everybody except Africans has this percentage. And it's not that it's not like if you if you sequence the Neanderthal part of a genome of somebody from Europe and then pick somebody from Asia, you're going to get a different two percent from a bunch of different people. So mm -hmm. a lot of mixing happened. Mm -hmm. A lot of individual cases of mixing happened. So if you were to take that entire all the different small percentages that everybody now has and put them together, you get something like 40% of the Neanderthal genome represented. Mm -hmm. and Does this, that make this, sense? Yeah, this is so a lot, a lot of mixing. Yeah, we, we talked um, in the last episode about sort of how populations, when they do meet, like we talked about the Huns, what the nature right. of that mm. meeting is like and yeah. whether it's yeah. peaceful or... Yeah, or right. um, and, and when Tribute. you have mixing like that... Well, I guess it doesn't have to necessarily be peaceful, but yeah. it coincides with, I think, maybe maybe 5,000 years after that happened, the Neanderthals disappear from the from the record. Mm. Yes. So, yeah. so one of the, you know, one of the hypotheses is that they were bred out and one of the hypotheses is that, that they were outcompeted or, 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 or knocked out by, by Homo sapiens. Mm. So, uh, all right, the... The keys are in the valet's hands. They're going to park our car right now. We're waiting in line. We're getting. We're buying our popcorn. Our seats are getting ready. You know, we're we're the orchestra is starting to tune their instruments. We feel it. We're about to go on this journey now. This we're taking the ride on the DNA train, baby. And there's no coming back now. Science is changing forever, and it's changing history. So let's go on this ride. So, uh, Sean, okay. Uh, it, and then anticlimactically, Arnabon uh, asks a simple question. I have to. It's like, I have to. It's like, uh, I was going to ask you, so if you had, had to have us draw a picture of um, a Neanderthal and a Homo sapien who existed around that time, like, what would be the major differences? Like, 
visually. Yeah, yeah. So, so the skeletally, um, and it, I'm hoping that um, Thomas can come in and and help me if uh, uh, if, if I can't quite. Mm-hmm. Will we get to that picture. description on our ride back? Like yeah, yeah, the ride's right now. Yeah. Okay, get on the go. ride. We're going to describe Neanderthals. Woohoo! Here All we right. go. <laughs> so they were they were short and stocky uh, people. Uh, they had the cranial capacity of a modern human, mm-hmm. so they were not dummies. Okay. And there are good reconstructions out there, but you really shouldn't trust the reconstructions very well because those are notoriously bad. Uh, but, you know, they give you some idea of what they would have looked like. But they were the, the idea is that they were kind of shorter and stockier, which would have been kind of more tough uh, for this kind of northern climate where they ended up. Mm. And in Northern Europe, which was in the full full on ice age when they were there, mm-hmm. although there's evidence, I think, that the that some of the um, there were interglacial periods where the Neanderthals actually spread north um, into colder climates and then retreated south. And they may not have been as, as cold adapted as everyone assumed. They might have been actually kind of sheltered in southern Europe during the peak glaciation. Mm-hmm. But um, the, and their cranial differences enough that they, that as soon as the first skull was noticed, that they were like, this doesn't look like a modern human skull. And they assumed it was some sort of an ancient human. Mm-hmm. Do you know, can you kind of list off some of the differences in like the, the skeletal feature or the uh, cranial features of that? Of yeah, the they, Neanderthals? they had more pronounced brows, more robust jaws and teeth. Mm-hmm. Um they they had like you said the same uh, cranial capacity as humans, but just shorter and more robust. So, um, yeah. you know, like you said, when you look at the the recreations of of any of these ancient, whether it be um, hominin species or, or whatever it might be, they're always portrayed at least like in your your textbook when you were a kid as being really ape like, and and many of the really ancient ones were, but um, Neanderthals pretty darn close to, to homo sapiens aside from being just shorter and, and more robust. Um, like um, when we say short, what, what are we talking about short? Probably maybe a, a foot, foot and a half shorter than, than homo sapiens. So, there right. would have been a so noticeable, the average was about like five feet, four feet. I, I couldn't say exactly, but they were overall yeah, yeah. shorter. Yeah, and just more And it more should robust. be said that like it, it, homo sapiens at that time was probably a little bit shorter than modern humans. Modern mm-hmm. humans are really tall. Modern Europeans are really tall because of nutrition these days. Like, mm-hmm. you look at people just 200 years ago in in the U.S. or in Europe, everybody was much shorter because they just didn't get the nutrition that we get now. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm saying I think Neanderthals are probably more like four feet tall, four and a half, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know either. I don't I don't have those stats in my yeah. head. But if yeah, if you want to see some really were, sorry to jump in there, some really great no you know uh, uh, offshoot subdiscipline of paleontology is paleo art mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times paleo art is really dinosaur centric but there's a guy who i discovered a few years back um, i think he's swedish his name is tom bjorkland bjorkland uh, bjorkland yeah i think it's b-j-r b-j-o-r-k yeah l-u-l-u-n-d but he's a paleo artist and he's really focused on recreating ancient people going all the way back to to the earliest hominins. Mm. Um, and he has a lot of great artwork of both early Homo sapiens and Homo neanderthalensis. But he portrays them in a really, a really I think, sort of uh, practical, realistic way. 
Yeah. So um, you, if I'm, you pull I'm, them up. Yeah, I'm looking at a lot of them here. And, and like you say, they have a lot of the features that, that we have, but very flat heads. You know, they have that dent in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But instead of the cranium kind of coming up, uh, in a lot of these, it's very flat yeah. on the very top. Yeah. But uh, they do have those real big eyes, and um, the eyes are very pronounced in the art. But still, I mean, it's not like you see in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Their, their oh, faces no, are very not. clear. Yeah, supposed to they be look a homo. lot like us. Yeah, in 2001, I think those are supposed to be like Homo erectus or something, or or maybe even yeah. an, an earlier homo. Yeah, Australopithecus. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, in any we, case, eyes know. very close together though. That's but sure. but you know, there's there's evidence. Sean just mentioned genetically that they couldn't have been that all uh, all that unappealing to Homo sapiens because they they got it on. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and that that was my key thing. Is like if you bring in an ancient human, right? Homo sapien, ancient human, Homo sapien from seven eight thousand years ago at a Neanderthal or something around that time. Uh, we, we would be. It wouldn't be very for us. It would we would say they are humans, right? Yeah. That's what I'm mm-hmm. trying to get. To. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely. Now, so that's that's one of the more mind blowing things that's come out recently. Um, this the whole Neanderthal genome is a big deal, and the fact that we still have some, you know, it still survives even though Neanderthals went extinct. Um, like you mentioned, and, and I, w- I would be shocked if modern humans had nothing to do with it. Um, the, the part of the genome of Neanderthals is still present. Now, this it, the plot thickens, right? This is one of the most incredible things that, that I think I've heard of in the last 20 years scientifically. And, uh, you know, this reminds me of an episode we did. I think we did a whole episode about Atlantis. Um, mm-hmm. And I kept mentioning that, you know, one of the reasons why I don't care about Atlantis is because the actual record of things that, that we know about is so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, and if you if you go back 10,000 years in Eurasia, you can't find any evidence of any civilizations going beyond, you know, uh, some of these early temples in, in modern Turkey. And, it, and then the, the record for anything like civilization just evaporates and you can't go any further. But that doesn't mean there's not really interesting things out there. And here's one of them. There's a cave in southern Siberia called Denisova Cave that the Russians have been kind of tinkering around with for 100 years. Look, digging around in there. And um, there's a tiny finger bone that was discovered there that... Um, you know, they didn't know to to whom this finger bone belonged, right? It's just a finger bone. You can't tell that much from a finger bone. There's evidence of Neanderthals from the same cave. So there's there's a little bit of evidence that this could have just been another Neanderthal bone. And wow, cool. That means they were really far east uh, compared to what we would have ever thought. So that's interesting. But they, they sequence and they get... They pull something like 98% of the entire genome from a single finger bone from Denisova Cave. And they decide to analyze it, and it doesn't come out as a Neanderthal. And it doesn't come out as a human, a modern human either. It's not a Homo sapiens. Uh, And it's like 50,000 years old, contemporary with Neanderthals, Ice Age, and they've 
to their shock, they find that this thing belongs to another ancient group of humans that we don't even have really good fossils of at all. <laughs> There's This is a whole genome that has no real good fossil except for this stupid finger bone. And now we've actually they've actually found a few more things, a couple of teeth, a jawbone now. But the, they, they call these people the Denisovans. Cause, and they, I don't mm-hmm. even think I think they call it, you know, Homo Denisova. And they named it, you know, they, they described it as a new human. And when they compare the genome of this thing that we don't even have a complete skeleton of that came out of nowhere, they find that some modern humans have up to four to six percent of Denisova genes in them. Wow. So this is another archaic human. We don't even have a good fossil of it that modern humans have some of the genetic material of. Hmm. So it's most wow. common that genetic uh, this the people who have some of this Denisova genetic material in them to this day, uh, it's most highly developed in Australia and New Guinea and a couple of other places mm-hmm. in um, in the islands. Some of these scattered populations in Melanesia, and it's 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 also in Asians, East Asians, but in a much smaller proportion. And so uh, this just is completely nuts. There's an archaic human with no skeleton, and they were running around in, in Asia 50,000 years ago. We had no idea until this one tiny finger bone was, was collected. Yeah. Wow. So uh, when we are bringing th- this, uh, this idea, so I'm assuming you have a lot more about ancient humans that we haven't talked about or ancient human are brothers. Yeah. yeah, are we running up on a break? Yes, yeah. we are running up yes. close to a so break. I'm going to, drop, I'm going to drop a bombshell on you guys after the break. Okay. I think I know who the Denisovans are. I yes. know who they are. Oh, yes, yes. After Excellent. the break. I, aliens. <laughs> Atlantans. <laughs> or, or, or angels. <laughs> or Silurians. We do not know the Silurians. lizard people. The lizard people. All right. <laughs> I, I can't wait. Okay, you got to stay tuned. We'll see you after the break. All right, we're back. We're the Science Knights. My voice is excited because I'm excited. <laughs> really excited. Really excited. Really. I can see Thomas has just... My hands are up in the air. air. His, uh, his eyebrow is slightly risen about two are, centimeters. And he does it, and he looks like he cares. He looks like he actually cares. I, I care. Denise Evans. Denise Are they aliens? Go. <laughs> no. So... Denisovans are right now all we have to of, of the existence of these these people is you know modern people carry around some modern people carry around part of their genome is Denisovan, and we the original sample came from a finger bone, and there's a few other tiny fragmentary uh, pieces of um, the fossils. Now here's a trivia question. I think Thomas can get this one. At the time that the Denisovan were around in Asia, uh, there were Neanderthals. Modern humans had had uh, had pretty much spread throughout the area, so they're contemporary with archaic modern humans. There was another hominin out there, another Homo, that had left Africa two million years before any of these other dudes came around. Wow, two million years. The first years. Homo who left Africa and colonized Asia was around when Denisova Cave had its finger bone. What, who am I talking about? That's, that's, uh, Homo, 
Honor Bond knows it. No, I it? don't know. I was gonna, I know the Hobbits. Hobbit the people, Hobbits. the little pigmies. We'll, we'll probably talk about the Hobbit people. Yeah, the Hobbit people we got to talk about, and they may put, be part of this story as well. But they're they're it's more obvious than that, and I can't. And I was actually when, when I when I thought of this, I was like, of course, it's got to be this homo who left africa a long time ago and their fossils go right up to this time and then disappear they're gone after about fifty thousand years ago uh, and 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 in kind of remnant areas they're in they're surviving in little pockets because modern you know neanderthals humans are out there and they're probably you know uh sweeping up the floor with them and they're going to disappear from the fossil record but these people are they, these are the most successful humans of all time in terms of their occupancy of the planet, they let they evolved in Africa two and a half million years ago, and they survived right up to hundred thousand years ago. They spread. They were the first hominins to leave Africa, and they had stone tools. They were the first people, probably, who harnessed fire. They had these hand axes mm-hmm. yeah. that they carried with them. Homo erectus. And Homo freaking erectus. Mm. Wow. I knew I didn't have to Google it. I'm calling it now. They're eventually going to get a homo erectus skeleton that's got pretty good conditioned bone. They're going to drill it. They're going to pull DNA, and it's going to be the Denisova genome. Homo erectus is who was there in Denisova cave, and they survived right to the end, and they survived today. They're still out there. They've got a mandible now. For Denisovans, uh-huh. and holy crap, it's got huge molars mm-hmm. just like Homo erectus. And I'm not the first. I was pissed when I read a little bit more about this. I was like, I I think I really thought of this. Nobody else did. But no, some paleoanthropologists are already talking about it. They're like, this is this jaw is Homo erectus-like. and But nobody's going out and saying, hell yeah, this is Homo erectus because they haven't nailed it down yet. They've just got the fragments yeah. of the Denisovans, and they've got really good wow. skeletons of Homo erectus, but you can't get DNA from them because they're right serious fossils. They're two million yeah. year old, you know, mineralized Jeez. fossils. But somebody's going to get a hold of a very young Homo erectus skeleton, and I guarantee you, you can you can remember this day, listening audience. Sean Graham called it. That's who they are, <laughs> and that that. Because, you know, who else could it be, right? Because, yeah. like, there's nothing yeah. else out there. And it's like, what are the odds that there are these, you know, archaic humans running around that we've got no fossils of? Well, I think we do. We just don't have DNA from mm-hmm. those fossils yet. Yeah, yeah. and they so have the, the abilities and the tools to, to disperse like that. And exactly. Even going and back were there. to they, 2.2 2 million years ago, they were yes. leaving Africa, mm-hmm. which no other, were- no other hominid had really done. Up to that point. right they were the first they were the first they're awesome awesome people and now we're we're kind of we're moving out past what is possible with ancient dna when we get we're right up on the edge of mm-hmm. it. so we you know we can get we got neanderthal we got these denisovans we got modern humans we got all the beautiful pageantry and drama of the last ten thousand years that ancient dna is going to help to you know uh destroy <laughs> And, and reinterpret and retell. But once you get about 50,000 years ago, uh, it's it's really hard to get DNA anymore. And so we really, that's that's going to be the biggest find. You'll, you'll hear about it. It'll be in nature and it'll be in science. Somebody will get a young Homo erectus skeleton. Uh, and, you know, even if I'm wrong and the Denisovans are a separate group, 
I think it's still possible that we can get a genome from Homo erectus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Wow. Um, Cause they're, they, they really are. They, they were, they were around right up until modern humans and, and Neanderthals yeah. were around. And, and so, they're finding, they're finding ancient hominids in East Africa all the time. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where do sure they where find them in? Like, like what are they preserved in? Well, it's real, it's, it's relatively recent deposits. You know, really? if you go back, well, not going back 2 million years, of course, but. Um, you know, river and floodplain deposits, and a lot yeah. of them have been found in Tanzania. But um, even going back to the Australopithecines, um, they're they're distributed all along the east side of Africa. Oh, okay. Um, so the world has a way of just naturally unearthing these things as time passes, and people too. You know, yeah. when when they find these little pockets of of preserved fossils or bones, then then people, you know, pick start, them up. Yeah, start picking through them. So going all the way back to the Leakies, who who working at the old vi gorge you know just kind of exploded from there um so there are people actively finding stuff still and that would be really that would be pretty badass to start finding homo erectus stuff all over the place Jeez, yeah and they've got yeah the the record in the rift valley in ethiopia you know goes back all the way to like you know four or five million years and you and but there's also pleistocene stuff there yep and there's holocene stuff and so this like one area of Ethiopia, because of the way the Rift Valley formed and, and the way things are eroding, um, you can you, you can find Homo erectus uh, a c- couple of miles away from, you know, Ardipithecus. Mm-hmm. And you can find, you know, ancient modern human skulls in the same area. So it's it's got like the entire record. It's not it's not particularly good. Like a lot of it's fragmentary, but it's all there. Yep. And that that kind of does beg the question of like, you know, we're probably not going to get ancient DNA from a site like that because it's too, you know, it's it's scattered. There's a lot of scavengers. If you found caves in Ethiopia, maybe you'd be talking, but like, caves are good for ancient DNA. Um, and that's where people should be, you know, looking. They should be mm, looking yeah. for really good caves that have deep deposits that go down to the Pleistocene. And you're hoping for like an ancient, what's an actual bone mm. that's still got some organic material in it. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the focus is. Um, but, yeah, the 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 Nisiba story is incredible and it's getting it's getting even more remarkable. But you did bring up the the Hobbit people, which is probably something we should talk about. Yeah, because um, Hobbit and people. That's, Tell us about yeah. the Hobbit people, Honor Bond. I, oh, Tell me the yes. legend of the Hobbit people. Yes. So in the land of the Shire. The land of the Shire. <laughs> in the third age. <laughs> Honorbon really likes Lord of the Rings, by the yeah. way. Yes. So in the third age, we had people who showed up. They were called Hobbitilla. <laughs> but no, uh, so hobbits were like, like hobbit, uh, these are like what, ancient uh, humans, which are like two to three feet tall, and they were found in the East Asia, I, I assume? Just little kids. Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't follow this story too much because it, it doesn't seem to be, like compared to some of these other things, it, it seems fairly minor. Mm-hmm. But it is a really interesting story, and it's uh, yeah they're they're found on what Flores Island, which is kind of smack in the middle of Indonesia, yeah, the Indonesian archipelago. It's like right next to Komodo Island, mm-hmm. right? And um, so, what to me, and of course there, there's all these um, these ideas that maybe these aren't really you know archaic humans, mm. and there's a little bit of evidence that suggests that maybe these were just these were like genetically 
no way around saying like genetically diseased. They mm-hmm. they had like dwarfism. Yeah. Okay. Right? Or or that and they were of, malnutrition malnourished. They, yeah, they were yeah, lacking yeah, some. Yeah. Some. I think I, and I think anthropologists are, are you know paleoanthropologists are going to argue about this for the next fifty years because there's a little bit of evidence going either way. It's kind of one of the things that makes it really interesting. You know, one one of the thing you know they're finding stone tools that are like um, more or less modern human stone tools in association with some of these uh, people, which which is a, you know a point against the idea that they're ancient, <laughs> right? They might have just been you know dwarf modern humans. A lot of the people in that area on islands can be very short. Also, I mean, some of the shortest people on Earth, like pygmies and things like that. Um, you know, they they, they you know, like th- four feet tall or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's like the average. Um, and so if you had if you had people that are already kind of small to begin with, and then they were they had a genetic um, deficiency that led to dwarfism, then boom, there, there's your mm-hmm. fossil. But there, there's a little bit of evidence going either way, depending on who you talk to. I think it's it's entirely possible. These are uh, maybe like a Homo erectus like population. Mm-hmm. They're called out uh, these islands. Florensiensis. Yeah. 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 And some people have tried to classify them as like a subspecies of Erectus. Hmm. Um, and so whatever. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder yeah. if anyone's tried to, to get DNA from them. Cause I think the, I think they're just 50,000 years old around. Yeah. The same they're pretty time young. Talking, they're pretty yeah. young. And I'm not sure about that. That made me, I was thinking the same thing. Um, but one of the, I do think it's interesting that, you know, islands have weird effects on uh, really quick kind of natural selection effects on populations. Mm-hmm. And, and island dwarfism is a, is a known thing. It happens to a lot of mammals. Um, and it happens a lot. It's really interesting. Some islands, you know, uh, or some population source populations, uh, you can have island dwarfism. And in other, you can end up with island gigantism. And it's, yeah. it's like very bizarre which way it goes. So some things like rodents can get on islands and become really huge compared to the average for rodents. And things like elephants get on islands and they can end up really tiny compared mm-hmm. to the average for elephants throughout history. And so you see both, both on Flores. It's, yeah. yeah right. other, so other what, animals. what do we see there? Well, we see the, the small, tiny little elephants and... Uh, these hobbit people and then these giant rats that are like the size yeah. well compared to the they're hobbit like, people like they're like small yeah. dogs they're like the size yeah. of dogs yeah compared. when the when the the flores man was first described i remember it was one of these big sensationalized things in national geographic and yeah. the documentaries they were coming out with had you know the little tiny flores people chasing after a rat no no chasing after the the little pygmy elephants oh and, yeah well, um completely disregarding the fact that there were giant rats like you said like yeah. two or three foot long rats yeah but also other elephants that were enormous stegodon is bigger than african element or, or oh wow elephant. really yeah Dang. um and giant Komodo dragons. Too. Oh yeah, of course. So yeah. it wasn't just tiny things on Flores. There were lots of big things, yeah. lots of big scary things too. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think. I I, I kind of think I buy it. I see I see um, Floresiensis, the Flores um, man, as a Homo erectus that got to Flores Island and then became became a dwarf mm-hmm. genetically. And the way that happens often, it's like you know. Some things can become gigantic because they find a new niche, right? If there's if there's no cows on the island or something like that, 
often you'll end up with like a flightless bird that fills mm-hmm. the niche mm-hmm. of a cow mm-hmm. or yeah, a those giant flightless rat, birds are on there. right? Mm-hmm. And, and something that's already pretty big ends up being pretty small to kind of streamline things nutritionally because, um, you know, an elephant might not be able to get the kind of calories that it's going to get on the mainland. There's just not enough food, not enough diversity of food. So it, it would behoove you to, if you, you know, the smaller elephants might actually survive longer than a huge one. And eventually you're going to get a dwarf elephant because mm-hmm. there's just not as much food. Mm-hmm. And I could see, I could see something like that happen with Homo erectus ending up on a, on an Island and ending up a uh, dwarf. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. And it's a really interesting example of that happening in humans. Um, and that's, I think that that kind of wraps up, as far as I can tell, this this interesting kind of confused uh, history of humans in the last from the last ice age. And it, it is a little confusing. I'm not sure uh, if everybody is going to be able to follow <laughs> what we just talked about. Uh, and it's changing. That's the other thing we should mention is that all this happened in the last ten years. A lot of a lot of the knowledge about this, um, and so it is yeah. a moving target. Well, and so, well, what's interesting about it is that you know, with this new discovery of information and 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 these tools that we're creating, right? Like like they did, you know, the the stone tools were next level. I mean, that was cutting edge technology, fire, literally. cutting edge technology. Homo erectus, yeah. right when they start standing up a little bit. That's when this diversity just kind of exploded mm-hmm. all across the planet. And it brings yeah. us back to us trying to figure out all the diversity and put it in a bottle and study it, you know? Yeah. Well, this is this is actually this is such a good segue, Conley. It's almost like we planned to, to talk about this. How much time we got till the next break? Uh, we have about five minutes until next Perfect. break. So what you mentioned is very interesting because that, that is kind of the um, – it's got the traditional view is that this is going to be this kind of progressive thing, Homo erectus, and then maybe even, you know, Neanderthals evolved from Homo erectus and then humans, modern humans evolved. And there's this progression of stone tools and, and it's kind of this gradual thing. Now, it turns out there's this really interesting thing about Homo erectus and we're, we should focus on good old erectus a little bit here. Um for two and a half million years, like I mentioned, very successful. They leave Africa. They they occupy Eurasia. They get fire, and they get stone tools. Now, stone tools probably didn't originate with Erectus. Mm-hmm. There's evidence that even Australopithecus had stone tools. Yeah, the older going one back tools. two million oh, wow. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, if you think, if you imagine stone tools, we got evidence for stone tools two million years old, one point eight million years old. That means that. Hominids could have been using bone tools and wood tools way before that, mm. right? Mm. And they could have been lugging, you know, nodules of chert at warthogs, you know, mm-hmm. four million years ago. We'd never know because it's just a it's a river stone. It's not shaped like anything. It's not a, you wouldn't know it's an artifact. But they could have been yeah. clubbing to death things with something that didn't that they weren't mm-hmm. working. Right. Yeah. They could have been doing that for two million years before they ever worked tools enough to where it would actually be an artifact that we would recognize yeah. as such. And yeah. so yeah. our clo- closest I, I, relative outside of of the hominins, uh, um, the right. the chimpanzees, chimpanzees do that. They use tools. They, yep. they use twigs and everything to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And stones, yeah. Bones. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys seen the? Uh, there's this incredible one they found recently. There's a small group of chimpanzees that piled up a rock a bunch of rocks at the base of a tree 
made a little mound of rocks as zero function. Oh, yeah, like I, I have heard this story not just from yeah. one group of chimps, but multiple play, chimp groups have done yeah. this and they kind yeah. of it's like yeah. a, a, a fetish or like a tattoo. Yeah. Uh, what well, is it? Like, like a tattoo? Not totem. Totem. They're making the monolith. So often archaeologists have this like rule of thumb. It's like if you can't attribute any function to it, it's got to be religious. Yeah. Could they be doing math? It's, I don't know, but it's incredible. They're piling up rocks, and it's like, you know, if you can't, if you can't attribute any function to it, 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 it could be some reverential thing. Who knows? Yeah, but that's nuts. And that's so, awesome. yeah, it makes sense that our, our closest living relatives, they're not our descendants. Or they're not our ancestors. We should make clear mm-hmm. that chimpanzees are not our ancestors. We share a common ancestor with chimpanzees and, and other great apes. But we diverged a long time ago from that common ancestor, went a different way. But we won't get into all that stuff right now. Right. I, I want to focus, get back to Homo erectus and this idea of tools. I'm glad we talked about it. Mm-hmm. So our, our closest uh, relatives had tools. Uh, stone tools appear 1.8 million years ago. Homo erectus has this perfect hand axe called the Acheulean axe. Um, that is about 10 centimeters to 12 centimeters long. Uh, what is that? Like six, seven inches? Yes, um, a little less than six inches. A f- 15 yeah. centimeter mm-hmm. would be like six inches. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big honking flint tool that probably would not have been hafted on a, on a spear. It wouldn't have been very um, you know, aerodynamic as a thrown weapon. We don't really know how they used it. But we know that they used it, and that stone tool is one of some of the best evidence of Homo erectus in Africa, in Europe, and in Asia. It pops up everywhere. And these stone axes, it's one of the most recognizable stone tools out there. Like any archaeologist, if you, if you work in North America, you've probably seen this tool. You could identify it. It's, it's common. And this freaking thing was made by Homo erectus from like two and a half million years ago right up until the end. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the longest running human technology, except for fire. Hmm. Right? We invented fire around the same time, and we still use it. But the stone tool, besides fire, it's it. Forget about your iPhone; it's flash in the pan. Yeah. Forget about cars. Forget about writing. Forget about agriculture. This thing has been around for two million years. The weird thing, it never changes. Right. It's it perfect. Never it's perfect it never in every way. So, how much time we got till the break? Uh, just enough for me to go to Morrison's True Value and buy one of those tools from the bargain bin. Perfect, perfect. So, I, I'm gonna. It should very. It should make you think that's very peculiar. The idea that a stone tool that is supposedly cultural baggage that has been taught to somebody would never change for two million years. That's amazing. We'll talk about what could. What else could explain it after the break? All right, everybody, Conley here, KVLF. We are just uh, moving right along back in time into the uh, paradigm shift that is ancient DNA. And when you go into uh, Morrison's True Value or hardware store, you kind of look through that aisle and you see all these tools hanging. And uh, there's hammers, there's the hand axe. And, uh, you know, that that kind of (laughs) design really hasn't changed, uh, according to you, Sean, for millions and millions of years. They've they've got some old stuff at True Value, but I don't know if they have any (laughs) 
Homo erectus hand dogs. I mean, if they, they might, it. they're going to check on it for me in the back. I mean, if they, yeah, if they have it, I, I would be very, very unhappy yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they had it. So the price is three seashells? Million? Three seashells. <laughs> three seashells for that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, I didn't do a good job of uh, explaining what these hand axes look like at all. So to anybody who look at it, it looks a lot like a big fat arrowhead, right? Oh, like, okay. You know, it's it's got a sharp end and a broad rounded bottom. And it doesn't, it's not as well worked as a lot of the arrowheads uh, from modern people or spear points people find. It, it is worked. It's got where they've chipped an edge to make it sharp. And there's a couple of flakes that have been removed to make this thing. So it does get produced, but it's not super finely made um, like modern stone tools. Uh, or it, That's kind of a oxymoron to say <laughs> modern stone tools, but more modern stone tools. So this thing, it, it, it's, but it's obviously like it looks more like an arrowhead than it looks like a river rock. Right. So, you, you would if you saw it laying on the ground, you go, holy crap, that's that's some sort of worked prehistoric stone tool. Yeah, Honor Bond's looking at it right uh, yeah, now. I, I was uh, I was looking at some of them, and a couple of them, I'm not a like a pars archaeologist. Like for example, this I would be hard pressed to identify as an axe. Mm -hmm. if, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like Wikipedia. And, it's, and the, the, like the name hand axe. Yeah. The name hand axe could could be very well be a misnomer. Yeah, it's just like it's used for convenience. People don't really know what they were used for. Some people think they were hafted onto a spear, and that was a big spear point. Mm. Uh, some people think that they were just swinging it like with their hand, and and they would use it to to butcher something. It's fairly crude. Obvious. It's it's neat and it's beautiful. But it's kind of what you would expect. It's yeah. the kind of stone tool uh, that you would expect, you know, Homer Erectus yeah, to have. Yeah, yeah. And but it, did, were, it didn't like, change. Yeah, it didn't change. Yeah, yeah. That we're going to get on to why it didn't change. And we were talking, Thomas was mentioning older stone tools. There's a, a, an assemblage of stone tools you can find in Africa called the Oldowan tradition mm -hmm. or the Oldowan culture. And there's really kind of crudely made stone tools. It's a little hard to tell that they're even... Uh, you know, stone tools at all. You have to really be a specialist to recognize the little fractures that you can make when you chip two, two stones together to work the stone tools that can't possibly really be made, at least probabil uh, probabilistically, by anything but a human hand, yep. right? Mm -hmm. uh, a river rock can bash into another and cut clean in half, but you're not going to have the whole margin chipped away to form these little fractures that, that you see. Yep. Uh, so, but the, a Shulian stone axe is, is pretty, or, or hand axe is, is pretty obviously a stone tool. They they made other tools that are less obvious, that are harder to identify. But if you found, if you were in, you know, uh, Siberia and and you found this thing on the ground, you go, whoa, that's something. Yeah. Now it's really interesting though that it never changes because there's no other stone tradition on Earth really that does that. Certainly mm -hmm. not for two million years. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you think about North America, people who are familiar with uh, arrowheads and, and spear points in North America, you know, it starts with the Clovis points, which right. are really incredible, beautiful objects that are really well made. And and then after that, it just goes it goes bananas for 10,000 years. Uh, the stone points that were made in Georgia weren't the same that were made in Washington state at the same time. So they're 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 changing over time and they're changing geographically. 
and this happens like it's nuts how how quickly it happens and 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 it this happens in Europe it happens everywhere but not with homo erectus with the Aeschylean hand axe and so I read a paper where somebody suggested that the reason why it never changes is because it was not culturally uh, it wasn't a cultural object that mm. it was genetically produced right when you think about the ways you can create intricate objects in biology there's two ways to do it you can either do it culturally by teaching somebody mm-hmm. and teaching you know little og how to make the stone axe and then gort comes along and he makes it if yeah. you do that if you do that it changes there's little innovations that are created it changes geographically but there's one way to do it where it doesn't change very quickly or very often and that's like a bird's nest Right. Oh, yeah. Our birds making these incredible structures that they use uh, to to attract females or these really incredible nests that birds build where they have to really know how to put the string a certain way. And it's completely complex. And and then it's not done culturally at all. It's all done through instinct, Mm. genetically programmed. And so these folks made this incredible paper where they hypothesized that Homo erectus didn't do the culture thing with stone tools. Og sat there and somehow it just came to him. Yeah. Oh, I have to do this. <laughs> and he built this hand axe. Oh man. And it was genetically pre programmed. So Og that. was wow. Og, so Og basically was Einstein of his time. Yeah. That's Og was an no, you got it wrong. <laughs> no, he no, was no, an no, automaton. He no. was a moron. But he made he genetically he made this yeah, no, hand axe. Yeah. And then Og had this hand axe, right? And then he yeah. realizes, I can kill animals with this. And <laughs> right. other humans, yeah. too, mm-hmm. very yeah. easily. Yeah. And then pegs over there looking what at that it would and be like, like, hey, that's pretty fly. Oh, okay. Imagine yes. what that would be like. And Homo erectus has a smaller cranial capacity than any of the archaic humans that we talked about in this episode. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they, they, they would have been... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to call them morons, but they they had a smaller cranial capacity. It's somewhere between, you know, Australopithecus and modern humans, about halfway along uh, the cranial capacity scale. So they, they were probably really good at everything they did. But, you know, like a chimpanzee is, is, is very smart compared to other animals. And they were way smarter than chimpanzees. Uh, so they were mm-hmm. they were up there. But the, the idea, imagine that. Imagine you're you're just sitting there on a riverbank and something overcomes you and you want to grab that rock and you can't explain it. You don't know why you're doing it, but you suddenly pound that thing into shape and make a hand axe and then go uh, knock the hell out of a mastodon with it. Wow. That, it. It makes sense. It fits the data better than the idea that you could have a ultra conservative culture that had stone axes that it made the same way for two million years. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that the, actually almost makes them seem even dumber that they would have these this technology and never ever do anything. Well, look, looking at it from that perspective, though, like just you thinking of it from an evolutionary standpoint or adaptation, um, I guess one argument to that that side of things is maybe it just worked really well. What would indicate right. that it? Maybe they they were just had a your super niche and. They they used it to break open bones that they that they found scavenging, and that was a really great source of nutrients. So they didn't have to to change the well, model. 
Well, if these things yeah. are still around and we're kind of, you know, coming across these things on our daily walk, then wouldn't they come across them too and say, whoa, that rock's awesome. Like, let's get that one. Well, we have a good example. And Sean's a great example. He still has a flip phone. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I've, I've moved up in the world. Oh, you I got no a smartphone. Longer, it was only when I moved to Australia it wouldn't work here, so I had to get something else. But yeah, it, it could be. So that's the other explanation is that it's, um, you know, it's a super conservative, and that that does happen. You have, you have, um, especially in extreme environments and desert environments, you you tend like desert environments can't really support agriculture, mm-hmm. yeah. so you're never gonna have you're never gonna have you know huge civilizations unless you, you're next to a river valley. Right. Or something like that. Hmm. So in the American Southwest, you know, hunter gatherers, um, that mode of life worked great, and it works better in the desert, honestly, than than some sort of big, complicated uh, agricultural society does. And so, in some places in the desert Southwest, hunter gatherers persisted right up until European contact, mm-hmm. and that that would be it. Now, the stone tools they made moved though they did change mm-hmm. and they had regional variation so it was it was more conservative than you know the the explosion of civilization that happened at like chaco canyon and the hohokam in southern arizona and places like that it was more conservative than that but still way more innovative and way more progressive than a two million year run mm-hmm. where all you made was one kind yeah. of hand axe. And they weren't, they weren't staying in the same place either. They were dispersing. Um, yeah, they moved to different environments and took that hand axe and never changed it. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's really Man, crazy. so all right, everybody. Like, when you're shopping at Walmart at 2 a.m., tell Auk, you know, give a big shout-out for High Five Org over there, Gorg. <laughs> Gorg. Or whatever. Or Gorg. Oh, Gort. And Gort. And oh, man. Gort is know, the best I name. I want to say that I'm making fun of these people who are, I'm, you know, I got 2% of their genome in me. So I can, we all do. I'm yeah. cool with it. I'm cool, cool with it. I, can, I got license. Uh, but so, uh, so at the same time, right, when they're developing the stone axe, and I want to bring another thing into it, is the de- controlling the fire. So now controlling the fire is a human controlling the fire is also a huge step, which allows us to burn meat, which allows us to get a new source of nutrients and and stuff. Uh, And also it allows us like we can dry the meat and like preserve it for a longer period of time. Uh, and another, for protection, that's yes, another one that, that's you know, protection. We should one, we should one. mention Maybe the biggest one. Yeah, we should mention too that there's a correlation with these innovations um, and the size of our cranial capacity. Oh, little by little yep. increasing. Yeah. And another thing I was going to point out is when we control fire, what happened? The the I personally think controlling the fire was huge because then the nighttime we could be productive. We couldn't go out and hunt mm-hmm. or anything like that. But inside the caves, we would be around, sitting around. Social. Social. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that would be the nighttime. And ma- mammals. Language. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Humans. And it's, it's amazing how much you can get done when you're not getting ransacked by a leopard. Yes. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> wow. and And uh, this is, you can also verify me, Sean, and uh, Thomas, too, that humans require the least amount of sleep, if you think about it, because we can, uh, on average, like, we just need eight hours of sleep in a day and that has been going around for like last quarter million years now because we have been burning wood to keep us mm-hmm. uh, uh, around but other uh, animals typically 
sleep much for longer periods. Yeah, right? we invented coffee too. Yeah, we, that that helped too. But That's yeah, true. no. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that is one another thing that allows us. I, Think to be human? Is that a bad thing to say? And that no, no that's oh, no, great, that's, and, and it brings us into another and, chapter in the series, part three of ancient humans. And no, not just that. If you look into this, as Sean has been talking about a lot, you can see even back then how diverse we are. Mm-hmm. Just like as we are now, yeah. Yeah. we're super yeah. diverse on a species level. Too, on a species right? level, wow. so yeah. Golly, man! One, one day, cool. one day we're gonna. We're going to simulate ourselves into that time, and we're going to get to relive it. Uh, no. <laughs> Maybe we're in simulation now. No. Oh, I, I, only time I want to go back is to the point where they have anesthesia. Not up before that. I, I don't want to go before that. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's all an illusion. Yeah. So this brings up a lot more questions when it comes to our ancient origin. I'm sure we're going to touch base on it a little bit later mm-hmm. but uh yeah i think we're going on maybe a, a short hiatus with the holidays coming up but yeah well to we'll everybody to out there uh from all the nights happy thanksgiving merry christmas and uh we'll see you on another happy episode. new year don't forget new that year. kwanzaa oh there's Hanukkah. a new year yeah, oh yeah new year. i forgot about that yeah. okay all right well we'll see you on the next episode of science nights in the morning Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.